if you're new with us this week, or just a reminder to everyone, is this year we sort of said our, our focus as a church is to grow deeper in what we call gospel fluency. So just like you might want to become fluent in any language, we want the gospel not to be an awkward thing that we speak. We want to learn how it to be our natural and native tongue because it is. And so we're in the book of Ephesians to help us towards that goal, but ultimately to help us towards following Jesus in the stuff of everyday life. So last week we looked at the beginning of this book in, in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 1, and this week just an impossible task. So verses 3 through 14 are filled with such amazing, mind-blowing truths that really we could just probably spend the rest of our lives doing these verses. But we're going to try to do it this morning. We're going to do our best. And if you're new with us as well, you may have already realized, noticed some things that may be different about how we gather. And this week I even talked to someone that was saying, hey, why do you guys do the way that you do things? Why not just do three songs, a sermon, and, and go eat lunch? Well, the reason is because we want to shape our gatherings in such a way that can inform and shape our everyday lives. And so hopefully as we work through our service, we really are working together. We are praising God. We're confessing sin. We're resting in the finished work of Jesus. And at the end, we'll be sent out in the power of the Spirit. And so we want to think that when we come on a Sunday morning, that this isn't really like the game. It's more the locker room. It's more the practice. Now, God is praised through it and we're worshiped, but we want to take what happens on Sunday and we want to see that overflow into our everyday lives. We want it to be so much more than just religious consumerism or just an experience where we get sort of an emotional fix, but we want to be touched head, heart, and hands through the power of the gospel so that that overflows into our city, into our dorm rooms, into our homes, into our workplaces. So that the fame of Jesus is spread and the joy that we have in him is actually known. And Ephesians 1, 3 through 14 is probably no better place to go to see the amazing grace of God as it seeks to change who we are in every place that we live. So read along with me. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, 
were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Father, we thank you that you have revealed these truths to us. And we ask you now, Holy Spirit, that you would open our eyes, our hearts, our lives to see what is true about who we are, about who you are, and what you've called us to be and do in this world. We pray that you humble us now to accept your truth. We invite you to convict us where we need to be convicted, and to comfort us where we need to be comforted. To the glory of your name, in Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Well, a storyline that makes any great tale or great movie is one about someone who discovers a surprising identity that they had that they never knew before. And in the annals of, of American literature and history and great cinema lies a movie called Prince's Diaries. Maybe you've heard of it before. Maybe I'm old, but this movie is older than I thought it was. It came out in 2001. But it's where a, a shy San Francisco teenager, Mia Thermopolis, is thrown for a loop. And from out of the blue, she learns that she is a real life. They're apparent to this crown of this, of this place called Genovia. She begins this journey of discovering what it means to actually live out the identity that she has. And her queen, go back even, her queen grandmother, Mary Poppins, Julie Andrews, Rinaldi in the movie comes to give her prince's lesson. And then we, we, as you watch this, you see how complicated and confusing her life gets as she tries to live into this identity, but how everything changes, how nothing can really be the same once it's discovered or revealed to her, this is who I am. This is my family. This is my heritage. This is my reality. Well, if Ephesians 1, 3 through 14 is doing anything, it's God wanting to pull back the curtain for us and reveal this is who you are. He wants to show us these amazing things, greater than being the princes of Genovia, that we are the children of God. But we have to all be honest that for many of us, it's not the first time we've heard that. But what we have to ask ourselves is have, do we have a view of the gospel, of the good news, revelation of God, of who we are, that makes less difference in our lives than Mia Thermopolis finding out she's the princess of Genovia? Have we embraced the fact that this is much more mind-shattering and earth-changing than any other revelation that we could find? So sometimes we think out loud here. And so if we were to sort of own that, that maybe at times in our lives we're not overwhelmed, we're not amazed, and we're not changed by the identity that we have that God has given to us, why is that so? Why do you think that knowing who we are through God's revelation can have little effect on our everyday lives? put ourselves at the center of our lives. Thanks, Jonathan. 
sins, our struggles, our sufferings, those become more, we attach our identity to those. That's good, yeah. What else? We're not afraid of awkward silence here either, so you can, you can thank this stuff. Sometimes we, we hear this, but we're not, well, what does that look like? Who can show me? Who can give me Prince's lesson? And really, that's, uh, that's what we call discipleship. It's, it's such a great connection. It's because our discipleship should flow out of our identity. It shouldn't just be go and do these things. It should be this is who you are. Now let's all work together to figure out what it looks like for us to live that. Because what we say often here, one of our phrases is that we want to believe the gospel is not just true news, but it's good news for our everyday life. That Jesus has not just came to change your Sundays. He's come to change your everyday. That the real Jesus doesn't just save us for later, but he's come to satisfy and sanctify us now. But he doesn't just first come to give us activities. Do this. Try harder. Be better. No, he's come to give us an identity. So what we're called to do is to embrace, embrace God's revelation of grace that changes everything about who we are. That's where we're headed this morning. This call to embrace God's revelation of grace that changes everything about who we are. And we get a glimpse into this. The first thing is, what did God do that changes everything about who we are? Well, have you ever felt cursed? Maybe you've gone through a season in your life where you think, I think I'm just cursed. I think everything that I just touch falls apart. In, in my family, and I'm sure everybody feels like this, I remember my dad always joking about the Langford curse, right? Like the old country song, right? Every time I make my mark, somebody paints the wall, right? It's just, this is life for us. Well, in the face of a, of a life where we often feel cursed, this is what God tells us about who we are. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. This is who we are. He has seated us with Jesus in the realm of his blessing. So you may feel cursed, and apart from Christ, you have been cursed, but not anymore. You ever feel unwanted? Maybe feel ugly, maybe feel not beautiful. Well, God comes and he tells you that he chose you before the foundation of the world that you should be holy and blameless with him. Do you realize that? God is not just tolerating you. If you're his child, he wants you. So we often like to, to say, God doesn't just love you, he actually likes you. He's not a father who says, well, I got stuck with you as my child. No, he's a father who said, I want you to be my child. I'm glad you're my child. And you are, chose you to be holy and blameless before me. That when I see you, no matter what the world says about you, or no matter even what you say about you, I see you as beautiful, holy, and blameless in my sight. 
Ever feel unloved? Or like you don't belong? Maybe you feel like people use me. I'm only as valuable to someone to the extent that they can get something, get something from me. Notice verse 5. He predestined us for the adoption to himself as sons, according to the purpose of his will. So that is not only did he want you in his family, and not only did he choose you in his family, is he has set forth this destiny for you. He has predetermined that you be a part of his family. It is no accident. And why did he do that? He didn't do it. These, these, these big words that oftentimes cause great controversy among people and great debate are telling us most clearly that he didn't do it because you did something first that earned it. He's not saying, you know, I love you because you're smarter than other people. He's, saying, he's not saying, I love you because you're stronger than other people. He's not saying, I love you because of something you did. Because, you know, the bad news in that is, is whenever you stop doing that thing or stop being that thing, then now all of a sudden, all of your security falls apart. But you know why God loves you? You know why God's made you his child? Because he loves you. For those of us in here who are married, if we were to tell our spouses, you know why I love you? It's because you're so beautiful. It's because of your physical beauty. Well, how then does that spouse feel later in life when the physical beauty's not so much? If you were to tell someone, you know, I love you because you're so intelligent. Well, how, how's that love going to look when that person maybe has Alzheimer's or dementia? What these truths are telling us beyond the debate is that God has freely chosen to love his people. To make you his son. In the Bible, that's not just referring to men. It's referring men and women. He said, I want you to be the heir to my kingdom. Do you ever feel unredeemable? moves us into verses 7 and 8. Do you ever feel like if, if people really knew me, they would know I am the lost cause. They would know I am the exception. If they knew the lust I battle in my heart, the greed I battle in my heart, the comparison I battle in my heart, the pride that I battle in my heart, the anger, the anxiety, the doubts that I have, about God. There's been certain times in my life where I think I've actually thought, maybe I'm the devil. We can feel unredeemable. But if you're God's child, we have this truth spoken over our identity. In him we have redemption through his blood. I'm unforgivable. No, you have the forgiveness of your trespasses. You're not unredeemable. You're not unforgivable. This word redemption speaks of a purchase. It speaks of a ransom being paid. Again, it speaks of a God who takes us, who pays for us, who cleans us, and who brings us home. Have you ever felt left out? Have you ever felt like there's this big life that's going on out here, and I'm on the outside? 
there's, there's everybody else doing everything that's important and everything that matters, and then there's me over here. It's like, what's up, God? Big life for them, boring life for me. Notice verses 9 and 10. God has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and earth. What God is saying here to you, his people, is that he has brought you into the biggest story, the biggest event that is unfolding in this world, the restoration of all creation. And he's told you this. He's called you into this. He's made you a part of this. You need not live with FOMO, fear of missing out, because God has revealed to you that you're in the center of the most important thing going on in the history of the world. Do you ever feel hopeless? Or like life is going nowhere? Well, verses 11 and 12. Him we've obtained an inheritance. Maybe you think you have nothing waiting on you. Well, I'll probably just get old and die. Maybe you've become Eeyore. Right? This is pointless. Life is meaningless. God wants to tell you, no, this is who you are. You have an inheritance. You were hopeless, but you're not hopeless anymore because you are those who hope in Christ. You ever feel insecure? Told you, there's a lot of stuff here. This insecurity, you know, I'm probably one day going to be revealed. And once I'm revealed, then I will be rejected. This can happen in churches. This can happen in schools. Right? Is I've, I've got to keep up appearances. I've got to keep it together. Right? Keep it together, right? Because if, if they see me, or even maybe sometimes if I even see me for who I truly am, I will be rejected. And sadly, even many of us are living this life in this type of illusion. If God really saw who I was, he would reject me. I've got to keep this stuff together. I've got to hang on. I've got, I've got to do this. The gospel comes and tells us that we were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. That the Spirit is a guarantee of our inheritance. That the hope that we have that God will never leave us nor forsake us is not, is not settled and resting on the power of our performance, but on the presence of His Spirit in our life. This language of a seal, you think of a king who sealed a document, and no matter what anybody else thinks, it has the authority of the word of the king marked on that document. It's true. So his people have been sealed by his spirit, taken out from the grip of insecurity and authenticated with the ring of you are a, a follower of Jesus this morning. This is who you are. This is who you are. But 
question that we have to ask is, are you living out of this rich identity that you have, or are you begging and borrowing and working for identity somewhere else? And so many of us have been begging and borrowing and working to find our identity, to find our security, to find our sense of self from other people, places, and things for so long, we're just addicts. We're, we're identity addicts. We're, we're just taking from all these people and places and saying, you're, you're the one who tells me who I am. It's as if we're walking around handing everyone a mirror in the room saying, show me who I am. Giving everyone in here or everyone in your life, in your family of origin, in your, in your school, in your workplace, in your home, saying, tell me, tell me who I am. Only God can do that. If you need $1,000 and you have $1,000 in your bank account, then guess what? You don't need to go and beg people for that money. Why? Because it's already yours. All you have to do is go to the bank and withdraw what's already yours. This is yours. It's mine. It's ours in Jesus. We don't have to go beg, borrow, scrimp, and work and live as slaves to other people, places, and things to give us an identity that will hold us and secure us to the end. This is the freedom of the gospel. And I guarantee you, ever how much you may think you believe these things right now, we're just asking our Holy Spirit, make us aware. Because this week, maybe as soon as you walk out of this place this morning, anxiety, anger, guilt, fear, and shame are going to flood against you. So this is going to have to be more than just some sort of theology test, head knowledge. You're going to have to ask yourself, when I feel cursed, what is true about me from Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3, I have been blessed by God and seated in heavenly places with all spiritual blessings. What are you going to do when you feel unwanted? You're going to have to say, Ephesians 1.4, nobody else might choose me, but God has chosen me. What are you going to do when you feel like you don't belong? You're going to meet Ephesians 1, 5, and 6. I am an adopted son of God, a full heir in his family. What are you going to do when you feel unredeemable? The longer you live, it's like, golly bum, I'm just seeing more junk in me than I ever saw before. What are you going to do when you feel that? You're going to remember, I have already been redeemed by Christ. Forgiven feel confused and left out. I'm a part of a bigger story. When you feel like life is going nowhere, you're going to end up with nothing. I have an inheritance. When you feel like everything is insecure, especially yourself, I am sealed with the Holy Spirit. We've got to take this into our lives. We've got to speak these truths to ourselves, and we've got to speak these truths to one another, because sometimes we need to hear what we think we already know more than anything. We've got to remind one another of who we are in Christ. This week, I got a text message by somebody that's in our church. They're not even here this morning. Out of the blue, she said, I've noticed you say this about yourself these last two weeks. That you say, I think I don't have what it takes. 
so thankful. She followed the Spirit, and she sent this text message that said, I want you to hear these words from God about who you are in Christ. No clue this is what we were going to be talking about this morning. That is what it means to have, like Lauren said, to have one another help show us the way. And I'm so thankful that this lady followed the Spirit to speak that into my life because it made all the difference in that day. This is who we are. The next question we're going to ask here is, well, how did all this happen? If we've looked at what God did that changes everything about who we are, we're going to ask the question now, how did God do it? How did he change everything about who we are? And this is where we get to these phrases that are mentioned depending on your translation or if you look in the original languages. It's this little phrase, in him or in Christ, used some, again, 11 times in this really long sentence by Paul. So if we go back to verse 3, how did he bless us? He blessed us in Christ. Jesus is the one who came to remove the curse from us. He was the one who went to the cross and was cursed in our place so that we might receive all the blessings of God. He is the one who was risen and seated at the right hand of the Father so that then we in Him, in Christ, might be seated in the heavenly places. How did He bless us? He blessed us in Christ. How did He choose us? Notice, even as He chose us in Him. In Him. How are we made holy? In Him. Before Him. Because Jesus is the chosen one. The holy and true one. And as we find ourselves in Christ, we find these things true of us. You may say, well, how dare I walk out into this world and say I'm the chosen of God? You say, it's because I'm in Christ. It's not because of anything I did. It's not really even because of anything I am. It's because of what he has done. It's because of who he is. And it's because of the fact that by faith I am in him. How did he predestine us? Verse 5, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is the predestined son. He is the one as the father laid forth the plans of all history, he was the one it was all about. He is the son, the firstborn son, who through faith in him now makes us adopted sons, giving us all access to the Father. It's amazing if you think about adoption to think about this, this theme of access. That you can go to God like a child goes to his parent in the middle of the night and wakes him up and says, Hey, hey, I'm thirsty. Give me, can you give me some water? In Christ, we have that access. How has he redeemed us? Verses 7 and 8. In him we have redemption. Through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. That if Jesus goes to the cross, he pays the full price. 
so that we might be purchased and brought back to the Father. Jesus, it's his blood. It's his perfect life in our place, his perfect death in our place, his perfect resurrection in our place that brings us full forgiveness. How's he made everything known and what's all the story of history about? It's making known the purpose of his will, which he set forth in Christ. To unite all things where? In him. It's all about Jesus. The one whom all things were created from and for. How's he given us hope? Verse 12. He's given us hope. We don't rely totally on technology. Not hope and technology. Here we are. Verse 12. The first to hope where? In Christ. How's he filled us with the Spirit? Verses 13 and 14. Through faith in him. Now, why do we take the time to just drill that in? Because this phrase is talking about the union that we have with Jesus. And in the New Testament, we find that this is probably the most powerful image of what it means to know who we are as the people of God, is that we have been united with Christ. You hear this, this phrase thrown around in our culture a lot, like, well, they're just marrying for money. Now, this can help us get our head around what this means. It's because when you marry someone, all that is yours becomes theirs, and all that is theirs becomes yours. So all of your debt, you got a lot of thinking in the future, you got a lot of student debt, right? You marry somebody, right? That debt's their debt now, too. But you marry somebody with lots of money, debt's gone. Right? That's why people talk about marrying for money. Now this image is used in the scripture of this union that we have with Jesus. It's that when we come to Jesus, all our debt comes to him. But when we find ourselves united with the great son of God, all of his riches come to us. That everything that is true about him is mysteriously, yet amazingly now ours. that now the words that the Father has spoken over the Son are the words that are spoken over us. That if we are to know who we are, it doesn't, even, it doesn't begin really with a personality test. It doesn't begin with looking in the mirror. It begins with knowing who God is and what he has done in Jesus. How are these ours? It's through faith in him. It's through union with him. Not of any works, but in Christ alone, through faith alone. If you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, if you're not a believer, how, are, how do these things become yours? We sang it this morning. Nothing in my hands I bring, but simply to your cross I cling. Naked I come to thee for dress. Helpless I come to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly. Save me, Savior, lest I die. It's, it's all Jesus. And this is such good news. Because you can just lay off your performance. You can say, I don't have to perform anymore. He's performed perfectly for me. You can lay off your idol of approval. I don't have to live for other people's approval anymore because he's gained me the approval I need. This is why if we have any type of theology that we take from this text this morning that is not centered on Jesus, then we have missed the point. Can you imagine finding somebody who's married into that kind of money and all they do is talk about the money. 
this will tell you about the cars, let me tell you about the house, let me tell you about the land, but they seem to care little about the person. Right? Another great song, Gold Digger, right? That's what this is about. Just, you know, the reality is that's how so many people who discover these, a lot of times, these great lofty doctrines of grace that we call them can live their lives. It's just all about the stuff but they have little intimacy with Jesus. The glory of God becomes an idol. The grace of God becomes an idol that we use now to mock other people who have a vibrant, deep, intimate relationship with God. But what we need to see is you're not a martyr for the truth if you're a jerk. You're not a martyr for the truth if you're a jerk who isn't living in the love of Jesus to the broken, burnt out, and bored. You just turn grace into legalism. And the people around us don't need more guilt, shame, and fear and condemnation heaped upon them. They need the truth of the grace of God that changes us to the core of who we are. But this doesn't mean then that we become man-centered. So if we've asked what God did and what's God done, how did he do it, then why did he do it? Just real quickly here all through this. So our third little trick, I'll just say it fast. It starts with, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Some people think this is a, was a song that was written and sang. This is Paul worshiping. He's just worshiping. That's why he's all over the place. If he's just like, I'm just, just amazed at how great God is. And so why did God do this? Why choose predestined, it says in verse 4 through 6. He did it to the praise of his glorious grace. To the praise of his glorious grace. And it is glorious. Glorious means beautiful. This isn't some dirty doctrine of a deterministic deity playing games with his creation. No, it's a, it's, it's a beautiful reality. Of grace. Grace means you get what you don't deserve. Grace means that the fact you're God's child means it's not because you made better choices than other people. It's not because you're smarter. It's not because all those other people need to get on your level. And, you know, why do they just live like that? You know, I'm going to go show these people that they don't have to live like that. Oh, my goodness, what arrogance and pride. No, those who understand grace realize is that to God be all the glory. He redeemed us. Why? According to the rich of his grace, 7 and 8. How will he unite all things according to the purpose of his plan? How will we not lose our inheritance? It's according to the counsel of his will. In verses 13 and 14, it just ends on this crescendo of why are we still to have this guarantee of the Spirit and this inheritance? It's to the praise of his glory. One pastor says it this way, the really wonderful moments of joy in this world are not the moments of self-absorption or self-satisfaction, but self-forgetfulness. We know this. Those times where you just forget yourself. You forget how other people are looking at you. You forget how you look dumb. You're just dancing right in the living room or with your friends, and it doesn't matter. 
Then he says it this way, standing on the edge of the Grand Canyon and contemplating your own greatness is pathological. At such moments, we are made for a magnificent joy that comes from outside ourselves. This is huge in our culture right here. This is what this is saying. Why, why did God do all this? And why does this not make God some kind of egomaniac deity who's just saying, you will praise me? It says the love of God is not God's making much of us, but God's saving us from self-bitterness that ruins everything we touch. He's God, and him being God is the best news in the world. So we're out of the quote now, thinking about this. You cannot feel the void in your heart. You can't feel it yourself. No one else can, but God can. If you find your identity in Him, then your identity will be rooted somewhere that cannot be shaken. And a God who is great, good, glorious, and gracious, and who has created you to enjoy Him forever. And so if we believe these things that we see in here about who we are, how God did it, and why He did it, then what will mark us as a church and as Christians out in this world in our everyday lives, we will be humble. There will, be no, there will be no contentment with arrogance or pride or elitism, but we will be laid in the dust on our faces saying, Father, it's amazing that you love me this deeply. We won't be judgmental of people. We won't, we won't be out here trying to be some kind of doctrinal police. We won't be some stuffy, frozen, chosen intellectualism, but we will be John 15 Christians where Jesus says, those who abide in me will bear much fruit, and you'll prove to be my disciples by the love you have for one another. We'll sing, he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. He is jealous for me. His love's like a hurricane, and I am the sea. Drowning the depths of his waves and mercies. We'll have hope that this is the God who reached down into the writer of this, the Apostle Paul, while he was on the way to kill Christians and made him into the greatest missionary the world has ever seen. That that's our God. That's the power of his grace. He can do it in this neighborhood. He can do it in your families. And praise God, he's done it in our hearts. So when you think, I feel useless, worthless, pointless, and powerless, you're reminded of what God has already done in your life and what God can do in your life. And so you begin to pray big prayers. You don't just pray, God, I hope that you woo this person. Or God, I hope that you can you know, help me to, to pull myself up by my bootstraps. You pray, God, change them and change me. Change me. So humility and hope and lastly, worship. Our lives will be worship, like Paul. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now imagine with me, for those who are here, we organize around what we call missional communities that seek to live as families of servant missionaries in our everyday and common mission. Now imagine that we have one table like this, one group of people 
like this per 1,000 people of the 100 to 120,000 people in our county and beyond for some of us who have deeply drank from this well of grace. And so that anybody in this county can walk up and say, that is good news. Because this is no tale, this is no fiction, this is what God is revealing about who we are, and it changes everything. Princes have to have princess lessons. But God's here to give us gospel lessons. That we must embrace how the gospel of grace changes everything. Father, we thank you for the good news we have this morning in Christ. And we pray now as we come to your table that we would taste and see that you are good. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, each week in our church, we respond by coming to uh, the table, the Lord's table. And this is for anyone who is a follower of Jesus. We invite you to come and partake of the bread and the cup as a picture of Jesus' life given for you. And as you take it, that's a picture of your faith in him, that you have received the work of Christ. But if you're not a believer, you can still come stand with us. We're going to get break up in the room, sort of this side, I'll go to this table, and this side to this one. And if it looks a little uneven, you can even it up if you want to. But if you're not a believer, you can stand with us. You can hear us share the gospel to one another. And ultimately, we ask you to, to receive Christ. Not just receive what pictures him, but receive the person he is. So before we do so, we want to take a, a moment here to ask ourselves a couple questions. Again, we're not here just to have, have a, an event and go eat. We're here to be changed. And so we want to take the time to say, where do we need to repent and believe? view of God's word. Where maybe do we need to ask for healing or help? We believe in the, the power of the Spirit to do these things, so we have to ask. What is good news for whatever the need in your life is today? And also, maybe who is the Spirit leading you to encourage in this room? And you may want to go to whichever table that person is at. We want to create this environment that around the finished work of Christ, through the gift of His Spirit, we can share in the gospel together. So we're going to take a moment here silently just to reflect on those things. And then I'll, I'll lead us to the table. Father, now reveal what you want to do in our hearts. Holy Spirit, we now ask you to encourage us with the gospel around the bodies.